0: Jess Messen Broadcast is hosted by Jess Fole, a visual artist from Baltimore, Maryland. Jess invites those who've inspired her to recount their tales of becoming professional artists and creators through sharing memories and stories. Jess and her guests relive experiences, discuss new projects, and foster new ideas, all while making sense of this crazy pop culture world we live in. Tune in weekly for a variety of guests ranging from musicians, designers, artists, and entrepreneurs who are actively creating the world around us. And now, it's time for Jess Messon Broadcast with Jess Fole
1: up, everybody. This is Jess Bull coming to you live from my studio in Baltimore, Maryland, right here on Lions Radio Network, archived on iHeartRadio. We have a very special guest with us today, and I'm just so pleased that you guys have stuck with the show, even though I've gotten a little busy and I'm not able to do it every week, but we've come back strong. Today, we have Jim DiRigratas here with us. Um, author, journalist, and investigator, true art believer, rock and roller, you know, part-time musician, the whole fun stuff. Um, joining us, let me tell you a little bit about him. Born in New Jersey City, or Jersey City, New Jersey, the year the Beatles arrived in America, Jim began voicing his opinions about rock and roll shortly thereafter. He is an associate professor of instruction with the Department of English and Creative Writing at Columbia College Chicago and together with Greg Kot, he co-hosts Sound Opinion, Sound Opinion, the world's only rock and roll talk show originating from WBEZ Chicago and syndicated to more than 110 stations nationally, as well as a podcast. He spent 15 years as the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times and continues to cover news and culture as a freelance writer, including contributions to The New Yorker. Deer Goddess is the author of 10 books, among them Let It Flirt, the Life and Times of Lester Banks, which is how I initially found Jim, and well, after reading his articles about R. Kelly, in America's Greatest Rock Critics books and put out by Broadway Books. While Jim jokes that he's not a musician, he is a drummer, and he has done time. Haha, in numerous indie rock bands, his current punk trio, Vortex, has been going strong since 2000, and it recently released its seventh album, This Machine Kills Fascists. He lives on the north side of Chicago with his wife, Carmel, while his daughter purs- pursues musical theater. Hi, Jim, and welcome to Jess Messin Broadcast.
2: Hello, Jess. That sounds, all of that sounded uh, way more impressive than it actually is, but thank you. <laughs> oh,
1: uh-huh. And I had to delete some because it didn't fit in my little bio box, so there's more to that story, if you can believe it. Um, well, if
2: you, listen, so- if you listen to I Admit. You know, I've done nothing but build my career on Robert Sylvester Kelly.
1: Yeah, well, you know, everybody has to (laughs) – yeah, well, you know. (laughs) Um, So let's start out – we'll get into that. But let's start out with, first of all, I always had such an appreciation for Lester Bangs. Lester Bangs was one of the reasons why I wanted to – Um, explore journalism. And when I was younger and all this R. Kelly, I've literally been reading Jim's writing for two thirds of my life. So this is pretty special for me that you're here. And I remember reading old Lester Banks critiques and being like, oh, this is so cool. And then you, then I discovered you, especially through this R. Kelly stuff in the nineties. And that was all really part of my whole motivation to go to journalism school. I mean, you were a big part of that. And, you know, fast forward, now here we are all these years later and I, we're, you're on my radio show, so this is wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, you're welcome. Ten years ago when I decided, I was like, I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to be a painter, Jim came out with The Velvet Underground, an illustrated history of A Walk on the Wild Side. And this book, came out a couple months before I was having my art show in New York City and I blindly emailed Jim and was like, would you mind signing two of these books? One for me and one for essentially the Lou Reed to my Andy Warhol and he was so polite and did and sent them and I still have it and this book has made it through countless cities, apartments and it's like literally (laughs) my Bible.
2: (laughs) It has that nice uh, velvet cover. I hope that hasn't gotten damaged for you.
1: No, I still haven't. You should see, like, it's, like, literally the only thing that's not covered in spray paint in my house. (laughs) There you go. Okay, so I've been, you know, connected to Jim for the past 10 years. In the book, he signed it, and he said, I hope this inspires your art. And I wanted to personally tell you that it definitely has. And this new project of yours, well, I shouldn't say new, but the new book, *Solace: The Case Against R. Kelly, is um, cool in two respects because it really, you know, organizes all the stuff that we've seen on the lifetime surviving R. Kelly. If you go back and watch that series after reading this book, so many more things make sense and come together. Um, But mostly... The book is pretty biographical as far as Jim's life as the journalist behind this investigation and trying to bring attention to R. Kelly's level of abuse. So I wanted to get into a conversation with Jim more about kind of how this 30 plus year project has affected his life and stuff like that. So why don't you walk us through kind of the beginning phases of, let's just start at receiving the taste, all right, and in that moment, did it click with you that you were like, oh, this is going to be my legacy project? No, in the sense no. that this is what I'll be remembered for, perhaps?
2: No, no, not at all. Um, and it starts really – A year before the tape, the first story that I wrote at the Chicago Sun-Times ran on December 21, 2000. And, Jess, that started with a record review. I reviewed TP2.com, and uh, it was Kelly's fifth album. I had covered him earlier at the Sun-Times, essentially from the beginning, right after he rose with public announcement from singing uh, on the street corners, on the L platforms. And it's a great story for a Chicago music journalist and critic. This hometown hero comes from uh, the streets, literally, and becomes the dominant voice in R&B for a generation. Um, Yeah, like all you you want
1: that to do is, like, end successfully. That's, like, awesome, right? Yeah. Like, you want that to be a positive story.
2: Yeah, sure. I was not the biggest Kelly fan, but I certainly admired his talent. I thought it was a little too slick. I'm a fan of the neo-soul kind of, like, D'Angelo, voodoo, masterpiece, brilliant. You know what I mean? There's right. Marvin Gaye, and then there's D'Angelo. Uh, but Kelly's stuff was certainly impressive. It was also uh, a weird dichotomy. The hottest, horniest bedroom jams side by side <laughs> with the Sunday morning, forgive me, Laura, for all my sins, tearful prayers. Now, that's a
0: I know Laura.
2: You know, I, I wrote in my review, that it was, you know, Marvin Gaye, Prince, uh, you know, this is common. Uh, but Kelly's, uh, the, the 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 clash between those extremes was so dramatic with Kelly, uh, you know, and so it prompted this fax. Dear Mr. Dear Goddess, you compared R. Kelly to Marvin Gaye. Well, Marvin had his problems. They were nothing like Robert's. Robert's problem is young girls. Now, you have right. to understand, this had been whispered in Chicago. Tape operators, club owners, concert promoters, radio DJs, record company promo people. Robert likes them young. All right. In quotes, always air quotes. What does that mean? I didn't I didn't even think about it. And, uh, you know, the Aaliyah thing had happened in 1996. He had produced her debut album when she was 15. He titled it. Do you remember? Age Age Ain't
1: Nothing
2: But A Number. Age Ain't Nothing But A Number. And he began sexual
1: contact with her. Like, I, yeah, it's right there. I legit, it's, I legit love that album. Like, I love that Aaliyah album, and it hurts me. Like, I remember listening to that, like, crazy, um, you know, back and forth. It's still, I think, one of, like, my favorite songs. And I don't listen to it anymore. I thumbs down it. I've removed it from all my stuff because I don't want him to get royalties. Like, that's what I can do but like yeah. it's such it's a shame because her work on those albums and on those that on that album is incredible and it's like you know so tainted by all of this that I can't even stomach like listening to it and well, the, great, the great
2: tragedy of Aaliyah's career is that the two albums that follow which are far more influential and groundbreaking, her work with Missy Elliott and Timbaland on the second in, in particular, you know, uh, are not available on Spotify or any streaming platform. And the family controls those records. The only one that's regularly available is the, the one that Kelly produced. But when he mm-hmm. had, you know, that, that had been denied by the record company, both record companies, uh, both managers, you know, Kelly wouldn't talk about it. Aaliyah wouldn't talk about it. It came and went as this mysterious, was this just a PR stunt? Was this real? So when I got this fax in 2000, there were a lot of details there, and I began looking in. I didn't think I could ignore it. At first, I threw it in the slush pile and thought, this is a player hater. Uh, you know, and you've got to realize, whenever I wrote about hip-hop at the Sun-Times, Chicago is a great city that I love, but also a city that I hate many things about. And the dramatic segregation between the South and West sides, black Chicago and wealthy white Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is a business. So I'd be reviewing hip hop or R&B. And, you know, especially with hip hop, it was always, why are you writing about that? That's noise, not music. So I just thought this was another player hater. But there mm-hmm. were some very specific details in that fax. Uh, that the, the Chicago police had been investigating him for some time, that there had been a lawsuit filed by a 15-year-old with whom he began sexual contact in 1991. This is 2000. I'm already a decade late to this story. Uh, right. You know, and that she had sued it's like, him. It's just like
1: even you saying that just makes my skin crawl. You're like, oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah. Oh, my God. No, I
2: mean, essentially from the, his entire career, uh, he was abusing his position of wealth and fame to pursue illegal sexual relationships with underage girls. And that was our mm-hmm. rough draft in the story. On December 21, 2000, Jess, uh, me and Abden Palish, the court's reporter who who helped, uh, we thought he was dumb. We have laid out the evidence of what really happened with Aaliyah of what happened with victim number one, Tiffany Hawkins, but there were numerous 14- and 15-year-olds, including a 14-year-old girl that he was having an ongoing sexual contact with, we thought we had made the case, and nothing happened. The videotape showing that 14-year-old I just mentioned uh, appeared in my mailbox at home. You know, I, I, I tried to work at home as much as possible. I couldn't sit around the office in my sweatpants and, and blast loud music. I was trying Yeah, to I'm,
1: I'm in my onesie right now, so I totally get it.
2: <laughs> I, I do not have pants on, you know. I mean, this is the joy of radio. Um, okay. You know, I, 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 I just finished transcribing an interview with Alicia Keys, and the phone rang and it said, go to your mailbox. I was listed in the phone book, and uh, that's all it said. Go to your mailbox, gruff voice. And there was a 26-minute, 39-second videotape of uh, – him having sexual contact with, urinating in the mouth of, ordering around like a zombie sex slave, uh, then fourteen year old Roshona Landfare. And that was the mm-hmm. case that got indicted. But that trial didn't happen until two thousand eight. You know, they used uh every bit of his wealth and gamed the system to drag that out and then he was acquitted. So, you know, I mean there were there were so many points In my 20 years of reporting where I thought he was finished, I mean, now today, as we talk, he sits in jail, uh, having been denied bail by the state of Illinois and by the two federal judges uh, uh, overseeing the federal cases. He faces 195 years in prison. Nobody in the history of popular music has ever had criminal sexual charges this dramatic. I mean, he you know, when he sang, I'm the world's greatest. You know, back in 2000, uh,
0: uh, to, yeah, right? you know,
2: I mean, yeah, he, he has he has broken that record, and and the, you know, the tragedy, as far as I'm concerned, is that it took uh, 30 years and 48 women whose names I know, who say that he ruined their lives, uh, for that to happen. Why did that happen Whoa. so long? That's you know,
1: and and let's be frank, you know, like the fact that he had defaulted on child support and all that stuff that was a big contender in gaining, you know, the legal control over him to get this process moving again. You know, it was like we can hold him on this, we can hold him on that until we can get this together. And it was like there seemed to be kind of so many irons in the fire this time around that it was like if his lawyers come at us with this to get him out, we can keep him here for this. You know what I mean? And it seemed to be a little more calculated. But I'm not going to lie to you, Jim. Like, I think I'm still skeptical of even the outcome of this thing. I mean, I know he's, like, financially disabled much more than, you know, like, doesn't even nearly have the resources he used to have. But, you know, the track record of this case is, like, one of those things where you put up your hands and you're like, wait, what? And No, I know.
2: I know. Well, and you've got to put it in the context of our bigger society, Jess. You know, Nirvana's In Utero had not come out when Dr. Anita Hill testified on, on Capitol Hill about Clarence Thomas and what has changed between Anita Hill and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Rape culture reigns supreme. We're talking about the Me Too moment. The conversation right. has begun. The work that Tarana Burke started a decade ago, long before Harvey Weinstein, Um, you know, is really important. But wow, Mm the fight has uh, only just begun. But I really do think that with two federal cases that are unprecedented in their scope, the feds are going after him for RICO violations. That's what they use to bring down the mafia families. There's nobody in the history of popular music that's ever been hit with that. They're going after the enablers, and the enablers are now flipping one by one to keep themselves out of prison. You know, we have right, Ambassador Sondland testifying this morning in the impeachment inquiry. You know, people start to save their necks at a certain point. And our, I, I, I you know, but hey, I've been optimistic before. I was optimistic December two thousand and uh, proven wrong. Um, you know, yeah, who knows? It's our, it's our rape culture. There's little uh, we can do to change
1: it. Well, we and I think you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- you know, this is the you know, get rich or die trying, like type of thing, you know, it's a situation where there's so many people involved, and it really is a testament to, you know, the power of celebrity or the power of wealth and success, the amount of people who are, um, you know, basically, in a sense, stuck doing what they have to do to you know support themselves or whatever i mean i don't necessarily believe in that i would know more work for this clown than the man on the moon but you know other people have different thoughts and different lives and you know i i couldn't imagine it but hey whatever and i hope in the end all these people you know have it come to jesus moment and they're like you know we screwed it up then but we can make it better now and best, especially well, you know, in light of these you know. victims I think one you know. of the
2: legacies of uh, I think one of the legacies of this book, as opposed to uh, Jody Cantor, Megan Tui's book on Weinstein, or Ronan Farrow's book on Weinstein, uh, or the books that are coming on Jeffrey Epstein, is the particular issue of race. Now, I am a fat white fifty-five year old rock critic. I am not speaking mm-hmm. for black women when I say this. But having been told by a 100 black women who trusted me to tell their story that nobody matters less in our society than black girls, uh, I, I am just amplifying what they have said. You know, mm. there is this tendency, according to black uh, thinkers, columnists, academics, that our culture, uh, sex, uh, you know, sexualizes black girls, uh, you know, basically from preteen on that a black Mm -hmm. woman is unrapeable because she is always eager for sex. Um, Again, Mm -hmm. this this, this has been written about a lot by black psychologists, sociologists, uh, social critics, you know, and in particular, Mark Anthony Neal, the great black academic and pop music critic who uh, runs African-American studies at Duke University, you know, told me uh, 10, 15 years ago, if R. Kelly had gone after one white girl this would have been a completely different story. But of the 48 women whose names I know, uh, 47 of them are African-American and one is a Latina.
1: Well, this brings into a good conversation. I mentioned this to Jim earlier that I was talking with a good friend of mine yesterday, and he actually used to live in Chicago and used to read Jim's work all the time. And he felt – he was like, oh, I used to read Jim all the time, and he was like, I wasn't – He was like, sometimes I'd be like, yeah, he totally hit the nail on the head. And then other times I felt like he was harder on the hip hop community for misogyny because of how women were represented in the videos. And he said at the time, I was thinking to myself, what about all these white metal bands that have like women crawling all over cars and, you know, all this stuff? She's my cherry pie and all this, you know, things of that nature and how we you know, look at black culture and hip-hop, and we're like, that's misogynistic, but we don't necessarily recognize that in white videos, or we don't see it the same way, and that was a kind of an eye-opening thing for me, because we as a society culturally pick and choose, like, oh, it's okay over here, but it's not okay over here, and the stuff we need to be paying attention to, like, you know, there's different stigmas for, you know, different races. And this is a good example of kind of shuddering when you need to be, you know, looking at something. The idea of age ain't nothing but a number. If you read, you know, even if you watch the documentaries or you listen to other interviews, you read Jim's book, it is mentioned over and over and over and over again how culturally age ain't nothing but a number in the black community is a serious problem and we don't necessarily recognize it because there's such an embarrassment attached to that it's like not only is you know uncle bob like uh you know you know is a rapist but he's a pedophile on top of it and then it's like oh we hide that in plain sight because then it's like embarrassing and it's looming and oh my god as opposed to addressing the issue if you don't address the issue now we have our Kelly you know what I mean so this is yes. something culturally that's been a huge huge issue I'm a survivor of childhood sexual assault I'm white this is across the board of yes issues. Yes. No, and it's bizarre. Absolutely. You, know, you know,
2: I think your friend your your friend uh probably as a as a hip hop fan, you know, like all fans of, of anything, uh, take particular umbrage when a critic uh you know singles out uh one particular genre. But I think misogyny and I think my career throughout my career, I've tackled mm. misogyny, you know, uh, uh hair metal bands, uh Guns N' Roses. Red Hot Chili Peppers are are as despicable as, uh, you know, N.W.A.'s second album, you know, with mm-hmm. The Immortal Find Them, and Flea and To Kill a Ho, right? Um, right. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it has bothered me throughout. I think in hip-hop in Chicago, uh, what has been particularly great is that there is this tradition that starts with Common and continues through Fest and Lupe Fiasco and Chance the Rapper uh, of, of kind of woke Hip-hop, you know, uh, people, you know, Kanye rapping about being at his grandmother's deathbed in Roses, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, Chicago has been particularly enlightened, and he probably was mad at me because I picked on Chief Keith. You know, I, to me, no, uh, not, misogyny and homophobia, you know, the misogyny and homophobia were old with N.W.A. in 1991, uh, and so it should not be in any genre today. But, um, you know, you have to realize that, yes, James Brown, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jimmy Page, on and on and on and on, up to Ryan Adams, and before any of them, starting with Frank Sinatra and before him, yeah. there is a long tradition of men treating women, black men, white men, every kind of man, despicably in popular music. But mm-hmm. we are talking 48 women whose names I know, I'm confident there are at least double that. That's going to come out in four trials, you know, two federal trials, the trial in the Illinois and the trial in Minnesota, plus there are charges pending still possible in Georgia and uh, Michigan. You know, Kelly was a, a predator. We're talking about somebody on the level of a John Wayne Gacy who killed three dozen young homosexual boys. You know, we right. can— dice and dice elvis presley marries priscilla at 15 jerry lee lewis marries his 14 or 15 year old cousin it was his third marriage right all right you know uh no r
1: kelly legit went fishing like he'd go to the mall he'd extend the fishing rod he'd be like this one this one come on home you know like yeah yeah we're
2: talking dozens of lives ruined hundreds if you extend it to the families of these young women um yeah, I mean this man has been a monster, nothing short of a Manson or Gacy level monster, minus the murder.
1: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how, you know, Art Kelly didn't sexually assault you, but this whole project, and you know, this has become a body of work that has spanned a good portion of your lifetime. What changes? did this cause in your life, investigating this? Because, you know, in the book you mentioned a few times that R. Kelly always had a way of ruining the holidays. Or R. Kelly, you know, you mentioned in the book that you got divorced from your first wife. And I was kind of imagining, I mean, and I am in no way comparing this to myself because my biggest difficulty is paying my shit on time, you know? So, you know what I mean? Like, I'm living like legit art life in that re- re- regard, and that's exhausting enough. This is, you know, responsibility on a whole other level. And for you, the vessel that is the one delivering this news, and for Abden, like, how did this affect you emotionally, affect, you know, your family? Because we think immediately of the victims when you watch the Lifetime series surviving R. Kelly, you see family members you see other journalists interviewed you see you know and all these people i mean it's it's remarkable the scope and the stretch of who has had to be involved with this to bring it to this yeah, point well,
2: you know it's not a, it's not something I like to talk about endlessly, jess because When I look at any uh, stress and ulcers and ruined relationships, I never started smoking until the R. Kelly story. What an idiot. Um, You know, it's nothing compared to what these women have lived through, and they are Mm -hmm. the heroes of that book. You know, that having been said, look, if you're a journalist. Uh, sometimes uh, James Brown dies on Christmas morning and you've got to tell your young daughter, we've got to wait to open our presents because daddy has to write this story um, that comes with the terrain, you know, and then if it's new year's Eve or, 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 uh, you know, Thanksgiving morning, and you've got a woman on the phone saying uh, I've followed your work. I trust you to tell my story. No one will listen to me. R Kelly ruined my life. Can I talk to you? Um, I don't think you're a journalist or a human being if you don't take that call. So, you know, it always comes back to the women for me. I was only ever just trying to amplify uh, and to be sure uh, uh, report on and confirm what dozens of young women were telling me and their parents and their loved ones and people of conscience who split from Kelly You know, you're hearing these stories, they're coming to you, you kind of just go into reporter mode, Uh, you know, it's like, and hey, right now, you know, there are journalists in Syria, wearing flak jackets, hoping they don't get shot, trying to tell us the news. So, You know, it's all relative, it's all relative, this is the job.
1: So, that's a good... Kind of, you know, it's a good point to start talking about like morals and ethics because I agree with you like morally and ethically there's no way I could hang up that phone and we I mean I'm an artist now but I took the journalistic oath I you know I when I graduated from school everything was changing as far as you know journalism newspaper crash blogging hadn't started yet you couldn't get paid for your blogs, like it was just a nightmare and I you know was like oh, I'm, I want to film rock bands you know. So I put my concentration into broadcasting and ended up, you know, merging that element with my love for music. And that's how I started to get my feet wet and eventually was like, oh, I think I'm a painter. But, um, you know, through this whole process of, you know, having the luxury and the opportunity to tour with some of the greatest bands of all time and then to get close to inner circles like that and to really see The dynamic of not only the music business, but entertainment as a whole, especially being a young female in it. I mean, I look back at it and I was always like, yo, this was so fun. I think I let, you know, I don't think, I know I let a lot of stuff roll off my back that because I wanted to be where I was, you know, like I kind of knew, I remember thinking to myself, well, Jess, what do you expect? You're working in a primarily male dominated industry. You got a deal, you know, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, yeah. When I became an artist and really started putting all my focus into my painting and building this up, you know, the question of morals and ethics kind of came back around for me from all the things that I was taught about from the Jandoli School at St. Bonaventure. And it, I applied all those journalistic morals and ethics that we learned, the legalities and everything, to my artwork. And I feel like my artwork has been very investigative. And over the years, I've questioned often, you know, like, I'm here delivering artwork. It gets better. You know, I haven't really done any fucked up shit, you know. But you have artists out there that we just make excuses for because their work is so amazing or whatever. And being in the position I'm in, I know So many talented musicians, authors, painters, visual artists that, you know, are just morally and ethically good people, right? You know, everyone screws up and they, you know, they make mistakes, but there's, you know, there's R. Kelly and then there's, you know, like Jeff Holt. like I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, um, look,
2: I, I think, you know, to be clear, I think people who love art, visual art, or, or music or film, I mean, you know, uh, especially music, you know, I am a rock critic. I am uh, proudly in favor of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, yeah, to me, the core of great art, you know, I mean, this comes from Lester Bangs. Uh, you know, Lester was forever in all of his work railing against nihilism, which is the negation of life. And, you know, what he told me when I was 17, when I I spent a day with him that changed my life, you know, was Mm -hmm. good rock and roll, something that makes you feel alive. And I would say that that's true of of all art. And that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that sometimes it's not sad or disturbing or, uh, you know, can great art be made about sexual assault? Yes, absolutely. Let's look at Tori Amos, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, You know, and and a million others, right? Um, uh, But it is essentially at its core, I think, life-affirming and not uh, reveling in the negation of life, nihilistic. Uh, So I think, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I I think this is one of the legacies that the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter is leaving us. Uh, You know, that we're going to have to call out ours that uh, uh, is racist or sexist or condoning misogyny, or homophobic, and we need to do it with louder voices. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to sound opinions, you've read my work forever, I believe everyone's a critic. You know, uh, we should Especially all now. Take- I
1: mean, we all even have the yeah. platform to just do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and anybody who takes art seriously should be uh, talking about it and uh, calling it out when it falls short of your personal ideal. So we're gonna to have to, you know, it is never just mere entertainment. That's the one thing somebody can say that really insults me. It's just music. What are you getting excited about? No, this well, is that's the, stuff the art
1: and the artist thing. You know, separating the yes. art from the artist. And it's like R. Kelly is literally telling us all the bad stuff he does in his art. Like he's, you know, it's a confessional. And yes, I hate to it's say straight it. Out of
2: I, it's crime and punishment, you know.
1: I listen to Michael Jackson and I hear things I wish I, you know what I mean? Like that make me uncomfortable now.
2: And I mean, I yes. know that
1: we all are suspect and nothing, you know, all that good stuff. But I don't listen to Michael Jackson as much as possible anymore either because now I'm like real skeptical. And. You know, Elton John just recently came out, and I think he's, like, literally one of the first people, first celebrities to have the stones to say it. In his new book, he says that hanging out with Michael Jackson was completely disturbing and made him incredibly uncomfortable. And I don't know. screw
2: Elton John. Screw Elton John because he's doing a duet with Eminem, right? He's doing a duet with Eminem, and, you know, you look at the number of songs that that Eminem recorded where he fantasizes – graphically slaughtering his ex-wife kim you know and to condone that um you know i mean look this is this is, this is going to be difficult and we are going to have to uh, uh i don't think there's a right or a wrong
1: you know should we right.
2: now cancel culture i look i am uh, to the core of my being anti-censorship uh i don't think anything should be canceled uh and not available but i do think It's behooven on all people of conscience to consider the context of this art. If you can Mm -hmm. uh, listen to James Brown or Michael Jackson, you know about uh, the things they've done. I can listen to Brown. I can listen to Jackson, but not the last two albums, which are lousy with songs about what he (laughs) says are false accusations against him. Right? Right. Now, it helps. That Off the Wall is a much better album. That's the one I go to first anyway, and the last two albums suck. But I think for me, the line is when the artist is talking about his, and it's almost always his, misdeeds, that's when I cannot condone. So I can listen, I can watch Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. I'm a Francophile. I, I love history. Hemingway, Dali, it helps that Woody Allen's not in it, but I can never watch again. Uh, Manhattan, a film about a 60 something comedian uh, dating a 17 year old high school girl, when I know of the accusations that, that the pharaohs have made against him vis a vis his own children. You know, so I can tell you.
1: <laughs> isn't it not it all or nothing? How can you say, you know, like, How can you say, "Oh, Woody, I can do this Woody Allen one," but the one that really reflects his life story and whatever isn't for me? Because at the end of the day, you still know he's, you know, a weirdo, a sicko. So, like, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, I
2: I agree, I I agree. You know, I think every because like I'm having a difficult
1: time like judging that because like I'm not part of this cancel culture either because I do believe that people grow and change and things like, you know, I'm really working on myself as part of like, you know, being a positive representative of, you know, white culture, white society. I have things I have to learn. I know I'm being active about it, proactive about it, and that's the best I can do. Um, So if I made a joke on my Facebook 10, 15 years ago that would be considered racist when, you know, I it was no more, you know, I don't know. Like, But in the past 15 years, I now can look at that and say, yeah, I can see why that would be offensive, and that wasn't cool. I don't do that anymore. I wouldn't go deleting my art from then, because this, the, this is the progress that I've made to this point. But when the artwork, when it's, like, legitimate and the artwork is really reflecting this stuff and it's all this, like, I couldn't, yeah, like, I can't watch Woody Allen. He makes me sick. No, no, l- listen,
2: Jess, to be you clear, what, <laughs> I am saying, what I am saying yeah. is both of us are adamantly against censorship. Anybody exactly. with a brain would be. Uh, but I'm not going to make the decision for you, and I don't want you making the decision for me. And Lord knows That's we don't fair. want some jerk like michael pence making the decision for all of us right so uh i think the only there's no right or wrong in art you know i think that it's just a matter of being aware of the context and each of us chooses our own line in the sand you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and we have that conversation you know and then we then we have that conversation uh with each other
0: Um, you know,
1: uh, awareness is key and denial, you know, like, I think we definitely do, we have a blind eye situation or we deny because, you know, we hold people to such an esteem. And I think, you know, there's a lot of power in if we just say, yeah, you know, they're really great at what they do, but man, they're pretty fucked up in real life, like, or whatever, at least, you know, like we're being honest with each other. And we're seeing things for the actuality that it is instead of being like, oh, no, not Michael Jackson. No, not R. Kelly, not ever. Why not these people? Why are they infallible? And now that I'm involved with this industry to the degree I am and I've experienced what I've experienced, it's really interesting to see, you know, society revere our celebrities as like they can do no wrong. And it's like they're human, they're fucked up. You know what I mean? Like they're no. Well, different.
2: this is this is the chronic. I think this is the most insidious problem of our time. This is why we have a reality television, uh, okay. uh, you know, personality in the White House. Um, you know, I think it's it's the great American drug. This 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 celebrity more even than the lust for money. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's got, Well, that's
1: true because look at how many people think that they're all famous and stuff on Instagram. And it's like, you're not really like, that's just, that's ego fame. That's not even in your bank account necessarily. You know, like the whole idea of I'm an Instagram model. Are you really? No, it's attention seeking. It's that, it's the adoration, you know, and you're right about it because like, there's so many platforms now where you get that, um, you know, that that you know attention but you're not necessarily getting paid for it and you're really looking at each other like really wow you well and that? you see
0: the
2: despicable the despicable things people do on reality TV just to be uh, you know five minutes famous I mean Jesus Christ Sean Spencer lied to the American public and enabled a fascist leader to uh, 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 take hold and, and now he's dancing with the stars you know I mean it'll be a cold day in fucking hell before I watch that crap
1: I've never watched that show because I will not do it. Like, I mean, I don't watch reality TV necessarily to any degree, Except I will say that I do watch the bachelor because I find that to be like really funny in a very pathetic way. But, um, I don't know why it's like probably my guilty pleasure, but, um, no, I agree. It's just, you know, wild to see how all of that has changed and it's, you're right, completely fueling a different perspective and the way that we just even have parlayed that into excusability in politics and stuff. It's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. not. Yeah,
0: well,
2: you know, I mean, well, it, isn't new. It, was the, it was the cult of right. personality that led to Stalin and the cult of personality that led to Hitler. And, uh, You know, it's like this is a signature moment, the day that Elijah Cummings dies, that we've got to wake up is what he was saying.
1: Right. Yeah, I know. Being in Baltimore and stuff, this is a big deal for us today. So, And he was such a great, you know, leader and advocate for positive things for Baltimore. Much like Chicago, we have a lot of the same issues here as you do. So, you know, I really did see a lot in this book that I was able to, to relate to because I understand the politics of Chicago. And before I let you go here, there is one question I, or, you know, I want to raise with you. And, you know, during this time, all of this was going on. I know that you were definitely under a lot of scrutiny from your community, especially the city of Chicago, you know, black Chicago and stuff. And I can't even imagine how that felt. And when you're in a city where you have the likes of Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan's playing basketball with R. Kelly every Sunday and the Obamas, the Obamas yeah. are lawyers. All right. They're involved in the legal end of Chicago. They're involved, you know, Obama's senator at this point. And my big question is. we have the Reverend
2: Jesse Jackson, uh, you know, spiritually advising and counseling R. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: you can I, say I, I, with I think... that, you can say with Jesse Jackson, oh, he's trying to change me and heal me. And like, I can already imagine the excuses for that. All right. Well, I'm uh, very. Rainbow
2: Push Rainbow Bush would bring a school bus full of uh, third graders in Free R. Kelly oh. t shirts oh. to every one of his court appearances. I, I think the black community failed uh, dozens of young black girls. And I think that's unconscionable. You know, from Oprah to Obama to Jordan to Jackson, but also the civil attorneys failed and the criminal court failed and the schools failed. The fact that he would go back to Chicago public high schools and cruise for 15-year-olds and 14-year-olds, you know, every system in Chicago, including journalism, aside from a handful of us, me and Abdon Palish and Mary Mitchell at the Sun-Times, not letting this story go, Everyone failed dozens of young black girls whose lives were – and when I say lives were ruined, I've seen the scars where they tried to kill themselves, slitting their wrists. I've seen the hospital reports from taking bottles of pills. I've seen the police reports from driving into oncoming traffic on Michigan Avenue. Uh, You know, you you, you talk about uh, coming forward and going on surviving R. Kelly or talking to me for your 15 minutes of fame. And that is just bullshit. I mean, what what happens is these women were vilified by their own communities, their own churches, their own families. Uh, they were called the most horrible sort of despicable liars and, and whores and uh, uh, worse. And, uh, you know, their life was made into living hell. Nobody got rich mm-hmm. and famous talking against this man including me <laughs> you know well, But again
1: and not to be you know and not to be forgotten that with this you know anybody who's a victim of sexual assault rape whatever like inevitably sometimes the odds that you'll see that predator again if it's like a blind rape or something like that that happens on a street is one thing r kelly is like in your tv he's on your radio you can't that's escape what this so man. many
2: of these women told me that they could never escape him that he'd be at right. their family, you know, With he'd be playing at their family barbecue. He'd be at their kids, you know, kindergarten graduation ceremony. I believe I can fly, you know, it, right. it, it, and they were traumatized anew every single time. I'm sure Dr. Right. Uh, you know, Dr. Anita Hill feels that way whenever she sees a picture of Clarence Thomas and Dr. Christine Ford. whenever she sees Kavanaugh screaming about how much he loves beer. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, uh, it is a systemic problem. I mean, basically, it's saying, times, man. you know, all, all white men should be uh, denied any position of power and influence for about a good eight or nine centuries and will just be beginning to tip the scales in the right direction.
1: That well, could be a start. Well, yeah. all right. I'm going to let you go because I know that you have uh, a lot going on today. And I just, you know, really want to take the moment for th- to thank you. This is, in a way, my Lester Banks moment. And I hope we get to meet someday. And I just so appreciate, like, staying connected since I started this art stuff, having you here today. And I appreciate you so much for um, writing this book and sticking with this and, you know, Really advocating for a group of people that have, you know, been forgotten and ignored. And I mean, I, I just, I really, really do appreciate it.
2: So well, thank you, know. you so much, Jess. I really, I, I appreciate your interest. And in those are two kind words, overly kind. Oh, my
1: client. pleasure. My all pleasure. All right. You have a great one. You too. For all of us here at Jess Messen Broadcast, you've been listening to me and Jim, dear from. Well, the Chicago Sun-Times, and his book is out now, Solace, The Case Against R. Kelly, and there are 10 other ones you can pick up on Amazon. I personally love the one on Lester Bangs, and this um, illustrated book about the Velvet Underground basically just lights up my life. So anyways, thank you, Jim. Thank you for everyone listening in all around the world. This has been Jess Messon broadcast on Lions Radio Network. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Um, As of right now, I'm interviewing Plastic Jesus, who is the street artist who put the Harvey Weinstein Weinstein statue, um, the casting couch, outside of the Oscars, I think two, three years ago. So that'll be a good follow-up to this. So thank you, everybody, and have a great day. Bye, Jim.
2: Bye.